You're listening to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast, the show where personal finance is about the person, not just the numbers. Here on BFF, we talk about how to make money your best friend so that you can have the freedom to make the most out of life. We go through the honest discussions about money so that you don't need to make the same mistakes. We demystify jargon so that no one can smoke you with complicated acronyms. After all, money's greatest value is to give us control over our time, which is truly our greatest asset. I'm your host, Junus Yu. Hi guys, and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about dividends for mental wellness, given that it's Mental Wellness Week. And we have with us again, Chris Ong. Welcome back and tell us about what has been going on in your life. Hello, everybody. Hello. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm done with uh, most of my investment courses this year. We've launched a new course very successfully on all-weather portfolio investing. And uh, I'm, I'm in between running courses right now. Mm. And I'll be flying off to Istanbul this weekend. Cool. And then when I come back from Istanbul, <laughs> I'll probably bring my family to Osaka for about one or two weeks, right? That's after the PSLE break. Mm. Yeah, so this is a good time to do another podcast, you know, because I'm sort of relaxed. Mm. You know, you blogged about this, right? Which is mm. dividends being potentially one fourth of mental wellness and I love that, right? I Google, I think you're the first person who talked about that as a concept. Yeah, that's right. So we're just putting it out there, you know, okay. like Chris Young is the first person who, who links dividends to mental wellness. Right. But I think that it actually, it makes sense if we think about, you know, dividend income being regular and all that. But, right. you know, today I wanted to delve deeper into the data and also explore how financial wellness affects our mental health, given that it's World Mental Health Day on 10th October. All right. And the theme for 2023, which is set by the World Foundation on Mental Health, is mental health is a universal human right. And just kind of like segueing into some Singapore data from the Mental Health Index by Telus Health, the overall MHI, the Mental Health Index score of Singaporeans reached 616 in January 2023, which is like, you know, a slight improvement from 60.5 in September 2022. I mean, the scale is from 0 to 100, but then you look at the tiers, right? The score below 49 indicates distress, and a score between 50 to 79 is considered strained. So Singapore is at like 61.6 as of January 2023. And I think that a lot of us can just uh, relate to the fact that the state of our finances actually does take a toll on our mental health. Yeah, that's right. First of all, I just want to say that if you have a real mental problem, like uh, something that can be diagnosed in the DSM-5 manual, everything I say doesn't apply to you because you need professional help. Mm. And I don't want to play down the problem of real mental illnesses among Singaporeans. I'm definitely not trained mm. to speak about that. Mm. But a lot of issues in mental wellness that uh, people talk about on the press generally comes from one or two sources, right? It, there is stress at work. Yeah, um, there is toxic work environments, uh, difficult bosses. Yes, that is something which has been around for different generations. It's just that maybe I suspect my generation tolerated it. Hmm. We tolerated it because uh, we needed to put food on the table. We needed to build up our careers. So there really isn't a lot of talk about mental wellness. And millennials uh, don't do that either. Millennials were more obsessed with work-life balance when mm -hmm. it came out. Mm -hmm. So it was largely a Gen Z thing where um, they do things like mental wellness breaks. And the idea is that instead of taking a mental wellness break, I think what my generation did, at least uh, for the folks that discovered the financial independence and retire early movement did, mm. 
was that we confronted the problem in a different way. We we knew that uh, this is something which, uh, when we're young, we are probably able to stomach. Uh, so we worked harder and we saved more. Mm. And when the dividends started coming in, replaced the kind of armor that we had when we were younger. As, as we got older and more vulnerable, like for me, I became more vulnerable in my late 40s. I think most people's careers went go through a stage where uh, it's not so easy to get job security after a while. Mm. Right? So... Uh, the dividends brought a level of comfort and it brought in this thing called optionality, yep. which uh, I think, yeah, and that idea is inspired by presidential candidate in Song, right? Uh, mm. Yeah, optionality. And it gave us the option of like leaving a toxic workplace, looking for a different kind of an environment. And, and I'm reaching, I think, my 10th anniversary of not having a monthly paycheck. Mm. And that was largely because I did a lot of work, uh, first 14 years of my working life to build a dividend portfolio. Yes. And that, accorded me the ability to not just go back to law school, but to also build a different kind of income that is based on uh, results instead of effort and mm. profit sharing, right? Mm. And so that combination, obviously combined with dividends, allow me to, I would say, drift through life uh, supported by a cushion of like dividend payouts. Yes, and you right. kind of manage your own time. Yeah, and, and I sort of manage and I own my time. Or mm. Obviously, I mean, there are obviously other issues that, that people who are financially independent have to deal with, like identity issues and all that. Mm. But uh, we still work, but it's on our own terms. Yes. Right? And I think that is the kind of uh, wellness, mental wellness that I want to bring to the table for Gen Z in that the truth of the matter is that if you were to run into a different workplace, the, the bad bosses are going to be there waiting for you. Mm. And in the final round of my career, when I left the private sector, I jumped to three different workplaces and I've met toxic bosses in all three places. In fact, I've stopped looking at it as a problem about people, but a problem with cultures and systems. Mm. So uh, once you get to that level, then the solution is uh, you, you can't run away forever. You can't job hop forever, you see. Mm. And dividends can provide that kind of protection. You're right. I mean, yeah. like, you know, if we look at the Singapore stats, a lot of the, you know, what's leading to that depressed mental health score, a lot right. of it is coming from toxicity in workplaces, yep. the lack of freedom when it comes to work schedules. Right. So it's not just about not having enough money. Yep. Sometimes it's not even about that. Sometimes right. a lot of it is actually owing from job stress. Right. Sometimes it could be extreme boredom or that feeling of, you know, what am I doing here? But then I still right. want to be here to earn my paycheck because yep. that's what gives me comfort that I'm still earning a monthly salary right. that's still coming mm. in and, and, and I can endure this for as long as I can. Right. And and there's not much of a push factor Unless there's sometimes, you know, sometimes it could be a health scare, sometimes it could be, you right. know, some kind of mental breakdown, like, you know, screw this and not, yeah. not taking it. I mean, the health anymore. scares will eventually come when you hit my <laughs> right? But when you're Gen Z, uh, you're actually quite energetic and you're healthy. Mm. Yeah, you might want to consider actually doubling down, making more money, but you, you have to really see yourself as an entrepreneur of time. You're selling your time for money, mm. right? And that money can then be used to generate more money for you. Mm. Like I said, uh, I, I, I cannot advise that everybody uh, stomach what they face at work because everybody's circumstances is different. Mm. There might be a real mental problem lurking uh, in the horizon for some people. So, uh, and dividends are highly effective that way because um, you don't need a lot of it. The moment you get $8 a month, you can 
get a subscription with GeForce now and play Baldur's Gate like me. Mm-hmm. Now we're that's finally how Baldur's, about Gate Baldur's Gate gets yes. into the situation, right? And to generate $8 a month, you, you do need about, uh, I think, close to about $2,400 to $2,500. But, but this is your own money in the stock market generating the dividends for you. Mm. So uh, the money is still yours and you can sell it anytime. You, see, yes. you just need to set $2,000 aside to do that. Mm. And once you're done with Baldur's Gate, you can then maybe put in uh, another few thousand dollars to um, cover your Netflix subscription. What kind of yield are we assuming? About 6, 6%. Mm. Right. So right now, the markets, right, the Singapore markets, we have a price-to-earnings ratio of over 10 to 12. And you can easily build a blue-chip portfolio consisting of banks and real estate investment trusts mm. uh, to get about 6%. So that's uh, generally what I do in investment classes with my kids. Which trumps the yeah. what, what the Singapore Savings Bond is offering, which the last time I checked is like 3 point something percent in September. Yeah, that's right. We can generate more than the Singapore Savings Bonds, but mm. we have to take some equity risk. Mm. Yes, exactly. Right? So there, there is some fluctuation when you build a dividend portfolio. And, and that's something which I encourage people to take because a 6% would mean that you can fight inflation with it, whereas mm. 3% you can't. Yes. Right? So, so I think that's something which I think Gen Z would also need to understand and millennials as well, mm. right? Um, one of the biggest threats uh, is, is the threat of AI disruption. And once people are concerned about AI disruption, they might choose to move their money into fixed income. It's very natural for people to do that because uh, they are afraid for the future. Mm-hmm. So they, w- they will stop taking on market risk, right? If many, many families do that, what would happen is that an entire generation of Singaporeans would not be able to participate from the uh, increase in market value of uh, these tech stocks or these equity funds when there's a recovery later on. Mm. And they miss out on this wealth generation exercise that every, gener- every generation would need to go through, right? So, uh, so I think that's, that's very important, right? You, you have to be willing to take some market risk. Mm. The dividends are reward can help you with a little bit of mental strain. But of course, you've got to get yourself used to that kind of mindset where every day your net worth is going to change a little bit. Mm. It's going to fluctuate based on the markets. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's something which uh, Gen Z really needs to train themselves on. If you're really born in a generation where you start work on a pandemic, it's really difficult. It's like a generation of people who were born in the, in the Great Depression of the 1930s, but they need to realize that if you had invested in the stock markets in the 1930s, then you would. Uh, of course, World War II would be so-so, but when it comes to the 1950s, 1960s, you generate a lot of wealth for your generation. Mm. Yeah, so that's mm. something which I hope I think fellow Singaporeans would not have to miss over time. Got it. Yeah. So I guess I want to talk about you know different investor profiles because you know there are the growth investors who right. care more about like capital gain and you know how how the stock mar- how the stock prices trend. Right. Uh, and they care about that over you know dividend income. Mm. And there are the people who you know are very much focused on dividend income because for them that is more like guaranteed and they That's maybe right. don't think so much about the stock price fluctuations. You know how does one get into that mindset at a young age especially if we're going to be talking about the younger generation and it might be you know a few factors in play right they might right. be thinking that you know why do I want to be investing in like dividend stocks when I could you know capture that kind of upside you know 2-3x okay. my money in one year that's gonna weigh like totally trump like the dividend income that I'm getting okay, whereas I- like it, you know dividend investors it tends to be I might be general generalizing, but then it you know people tend to think that you know it's like older people okay. who put money in dividend stocks 
and it kind of because it gives them like a bigger, better return, slightly better return than like the SSB. I I think once again, I I, I don't believe we should think in terms of absolutes. There mm. is always room for growth and, and dividend investing. Dividend yes. investing tends to do better when there's a market downturn. It yes. is forgiving. Yes, it puts money in your pockets, and. I find it very easy to translate dividends into an actual impact into your life. I can tell you that this dividend can lead to Netflix, Netflix, Baldur's, Baldur's Gate, Gate, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Right. For growth investing, you need to do a That's assuming need, that we are that's assuming that Netflix, Baldur's Gate and Disney Plus helps your mental yeah, health. But for growth investing is a lot harder. You need to delay gratification until there's this massive recovery. Yes. Right? And that tends to do better when there is a great expansion in the markets, when mm. interest rates are going down. Mm. So there's a different part of the market cycle that caters to growth. Yes. Right. But I always stand behind dividends investing because I think Gen Z is not really risk-seeking. After what happened to the crypto crash of 2021, they're more likely to be licking their wounds right now. Mm. And they should start with something gentle first. And there's nothing stopping them from moving into growth or a riskier strategy later on. And there's plenty of time for the markets to recover. We, we are at this stage where the OECD composite leading indicator, right, has just turned around and mm. uh, started going up, but it's still quite low. Mm. So dividends investing will still work in the meantime. Got it. Yeah. Now that we're on on that topic, right, what mm. are your tips to people who are looking to buy dividend stocks for the first time? Especially if you say that if that's going to be their first entry point and you can look at, you know, growth stocks later on. Okay, so I think the Singapore market, it's considered very boring, very fuddy-duddy, very ignored by the rest of the world. Mm. But uh, I want to remind everybody that the price-earnings ratio of our local stocks is between 10 to 12. Mm. And the kind of dividend yields that we're getting, it is not difficult to get yields of 6%. So if you target yields of 5%, it's almost, uh, you're throwing a dartboard on Singapore blue chips, you mm. can get about 5% dividends on mm. average, right? So um, a good, well-diversified portfolio of stocks, business trusts, and REITs. Uh, I got my students to build one that could uh, produce about 6.7%. And that's mean, that means that you are actually avoiding the riskier sectors like the US office REITs. You're not touching them. You're getting 67 mm. If you're willing to touch them, maybe 7 maybe 8%. Mm-hmm. That's actually a very good place to start. Of course, that means you need to get a brokerage account that functions with local stocks. You might need to set up a CDP account. Mm. Yeah, but the CDP account also allows you to buy SSBs, mm. right? So when you look at the universe of stocks, let's say, you know, in this case, like Singapore, for example, like what are, you know, data points that you maybe encourage people to look at? Well, the favorite that I use in my students is to uh, build an equity risk premium index. Mm. You uh, take the P of the local markets, you invert it, you Take one, you divide by the number. Mm-hmm. You minus off the 20-year government bond you. You get a number between 2 to 6%. Mm. If the number is very high, it's a good time to buy. So the last time I ran my course, it's about 6%. So it's a very good time to enter the Singapore markets. Mm. Would you then be looking at the fundamentals of the company? You can look into the fundamentals of the company uh, after you're done with that. Mm. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, that's difficult even for a beginning retail investor. So you might want to stick with something in the Straits Times Index. Mm. So if you go with the three banks, the six real estate investment trusts, it's sort of safer and it's followed by many analysts. Mm. Yeah, so it's easier. Got it. A lot of your coverage is looking at the Singapore universe of like, you know, banks, the REITs. But looking outside of Singapore, you know, are there any 
nuances there? You know, is there any additional information that you look at there, but or you're kind of like valuing them by the same terms? Um, I do this form of factor investing. Uh, that that is actually quite statistical. So we can actually apply it to the US markets, but I generally apply that methodology to blue chips. Mm. Yeah, so sometimes a P ratio works in Singapore, but it doesn't work in the US. What's the reason? Um, US is very tech and growth oriented. Mm. So if you look at the US, we find that things like revenue growth tend to work better. Yes. And when, let's say, we look at, you know, going back to different investor profiles, I find that the older generation of investors, you know, where, where they have maybe shorter investment time horizon, they would have that preference for that kind of like, like let's say, monthly dividend payouts, especially if, you know, if you're going to be looking at growth stocks and sometimes it could take five to 10 years right. for a stock to turn around and to get that kind of growth that they envision. And some people you know, you don't have that time and don't even have that. They don't want to wait around for that, which is why dividend income could be attractive. But you, do you see that separation in terms of investor profiles and the, the, their general ages or life stage that they're at? I actually don't. I could get a lot of people in their 30s into dividend investing. So I think the difficult part is getting the payout. Mm. Once you get the payout, you're hooked. Hmm. Yeah, there's a dopamine rush. It's much like running. Uh, like uh, you, you generally people don't look forward to running, but once you get the dopamine rush, you 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 tend to enjoy sports a lot more. And typically, what is that portfolio allocation in terms of percentage to dividend stocks? I guess for a start, you don't even need international diversification. If you take your money and you split it between the three banks and the six REITs, mm. and you just leave it there equally, equally in equal shares. Mm. And give it three months for it to percolate and build up some investment income for you. And then see whether you like what uh, what you see. Mm. The trick is if you can put in about 25k, uh, you would get about $100 a month mm. on average, right? Mm. But until you get that, very hard to get you hooked. Mm. So the difficulty in my industry is to get people to that point. You don't get people to that point, you cannot create a change in their lives. Mm. And because of that, our our numbers are not strong in the sense that the people who sign up for investment courses and the people who sort of sustain and build an investment strategy is not high. Mm. And uh, people criticize the industry because of that. Mm. Yeah. But once you can get somebody to put $25,000 into Singapore blue chips and they collect money on a regular basis... Generally, I think the case is won if we're able to do that. Got it. And you are actually holding a something in October, right? If I'm not wrong. Um, oh, my next program is quite far away. Okay. We have an early retirement class in January. Mm. And uh, you can get more details by Googling ERM intro and taking the first link, E-R-M-I-N-T-R-O. Got it. And any other links we'll also include in the show notes. So thank you so much, Chris, for being on. Thank you. Thank you. Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcasts at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at MissFitFi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from MediaCorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, 
Powered by Audio Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time. <laughs>